We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna I'm going to go outside the box and go Nathan Peterman. Mm. You didn't even put him on the list right there. I know people are going to say, Mike, what are you talking about? The kid threw five interceptions in one particular game. But I put that those mistakes not just on, not solely on Nathan Peterman. You know, he wasn't ready to be the starting quarterback at that particular time. And when you look at the tape, he, makes throw, he made throws or yep. attempted throws that Tyrod Taylor just would not attempt. So, I'd say that to say this guy has an upside. They like him in the building. They like him enough to put a guy that was the starting quarterback taking him to the playoffs. They benched him to put him in. I think this kid wins the starting job. In oh, welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Michael Robinson from NFL Network. Guys, we here at the Rock Pal Report, we have missed the hell out of you guys. I mean, not for nothing. It's been a long three weeks without recording a podcast. I know. I felt like I've lost my, like I lost it. Like I took a step back. (laughs) It's crazy how things change after you get married and start trying to put your life together while trying to buy property in the worst housing market Western New York has seen in over a decade. Am I right? Yep, Maryvale School District. Yeah, we're not doing that. (laughs) So, I mean, Michael Robinson, that friggin' guy. The NFL offseason isn't ever truly underway until Michael Robinson has an absurd hot take about the Buffalo Bills. Let's take a walk down memory lane through some of his best so far. The first coming in 2016. Oh, well, you would think this year. Um, I think they, they now have their quarterback. I think Tyrod Taylor is a franchise quarterback. I mean, you look at 20 interceptions, only, I mean, 20 TDs, only six interceptions, a uh, pass rating almost at 100. Um, he's very efficient with the football. Rex always talks about his speed, talks about his running ability. But I think his abilities 
coupled with Greg Roman's run scheme and how he calls offense and how he calls plays. Yeah, he has to get a little bit better between the numbers. But his abilities coupled with uh, Greg Roman's offensive scheme, I think it can be deadly in the, in the AFC East, and they can definitely challenge uh, the Patriots this year. And I, I hey, right now I got them winning it. Michael Robinson in 2016 on NFL Network. He winning said, the division. Winning the division. Winning. Win, I'm going to stand 50 feet from the table. Winning the division. <laughs> that, I cannot believe. <laughs> I, I'm. <laughs> I'm just I'm disappointed he didn't do that this year. He didn't pick us to win the division for a third year in a row. Chris, play him 2017 stake. I'm gonna go with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, first of all, because I trust I trust Tyrod Taylor. The guy does not turn the football over six interceptions last year. But some of the additions, including the head coach Sean McDermott, including the defensive coordinator and Leslie Frazier, because last year this defense left their cornerbacks on an island way too often. That cannot happen if they want to be able to threaten uh, the New England Patriots. And they have LaShawn McCoy. They run the football. They run the football with authority. That's what's going to be important if you want to beat the New England Patriots. They got to feel you on the field. They got to feel your will. They got to understand that you're there and you mean business. If they can get that guy going right there and get him in space, it does not matter who's on the defensive side. He'll make a mess. That's Michael Robinson, 2017 on NFL Network. Again, picking the Bills to win the division. I'm surprised he didn't do it again this year. I, I, I'm really upset that he didn't pick us to win the division again. So, so but, but here's my problem. His thesis for picking Tyrod Taylor was that his touchdown-to-interception ratio was so good that you had to trust him. This year, he's picked a quarterback whose touchdown-to-interception ratio is atrocious. Oh, and he's picking him to win the starting job, which, if I can say it, it might be, out of all the things that we've bagged on him for, might be the most likely thing to actually happen out of all of the things he's predicted over the last decade, Bills wise. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I really, I really look at the quarterback battle this uh, for the for training camp to be to be quite wide open. But I, I mean, I don't really put Peterman <clears throat> to win the starting job. I think that's AJ McCarron's to lose. I do think Peterman's going to be the backup with Josh Allen being third man because he's got a lot to learn at the NFL. The NFL level. I mean, I'll make a Seagram's bet with you later on in training camp about that, but uh, as much boy. as I love Allen, I don't want to see. I don't want him. Anywhere, I mean, I'm just thinking. I don't that, want him anywhere near my football field, Chris. I'm just thinking that you and I should open up a Michael Robinson Hall of Shame for this kind of stuff. We should make this a yearly segment. Can we agree on that? Yeah, but all right. Uh, cheers. Also, why aren't we tweeting at him? I mean, he should come on the show. Because he he said enough. He has said enough. He should be on the show. I don't know that I want to hear anything else that man has to say. You would um, don't come on. You would love you would love to talk to somebody that works at NFL Network as an analyst, regardless of who they are and their hot takes like this. But Chris, you think you know a lot about me and how I feel about hot takes? And I think that that's a perfect spot for us to kick off this week's Bills News Update. Unless you've been living under a rock, you're aware of the LaShawn McCoy situation. So I'm not going to rehash any of this stuff. I'm not going to go over the gory details. I'm not going to recite the quote-unquote facts 
of the situation. Because in truth, me reiterating any of it doesn't have a whole lot. It doesn't have a whole lot of value. Against my better judgment, though, I still feel like we here at the Rock Pal Report are obligated to at least have a brief discussion on the subject. I can't just pretend it's not going on. Chris, would you say that's fair? We have to talk about LaShawn McCoy. I didn't want to. I told you about it earlier this week. I didn't want to talk about it. And the more and more and more this goes on. (sighs) It's been about 24 hours since the news broke of what happened. And so we're starting to gather a little bit of it. Not a whole lot of information. We get a little bit of information over the last 24 hours. I want to preface this, this conversation with the following statement. A sentiment that I tweeted out in talking with John Waro from the Associated Press earlier today. In an age when the court of public opinion can at times wield more power than the court of law, we as the people at large have an obligation to try being measured in our outrages, reasonable in our reactions, and patient while facts are presented regardless of the situation or who's involved. I want you all to think about what that means for a second. Not just football players, not just politicians or celebrities. Everybody deserves this. I mean, it's, I mean, aren't the basis of what we're founded on here as a people is innocent until proven guilty. Tuesday morning, I get a text about the Instagram post that started this entire controversy. It was about 8.30 in the morning. By noon, I had to stop looking at social media because for as badly as I wanted updates on the situation, now that credible media sources had picked up the story and had started their own investigations, it became glaringly obvious to me that asking folks to practice any of the rationality or reasonability I just spoke about had gone out the fucking window. I mean, as far as I can tell, there were thousands of ACL tears across the country yesterday from people knee-jerk reactioning so hard, so hard. People wildly drawing their own conclusions to a situation without really knowing anything about it. And then attacking others for not immediately agreeing with them. If you don't agree with me, then you must be, then you must be agreeing with the action. And therefore you are wrong. It's as incredible as it is frustrating. Guys, one of the things that people have loved about this podcast is how open we are. Chris, we speak openly to each other. We say a lot of things here that we wouldn't say to each other, that we would say to each other off air. Uh, yeah, we, we, I tell you the same amount of jokes about your teeth off air as I do on air. Okay, well, I'm... Serious or not? Here's, an, here's something I want to bring here, and there's a purpose for this. Chris and I, I don't listen to a lot of the criticism of our show. I don't. I mean, we get it. Chris brought yeah. it to my attention. We we, we had, see it. We have people who we see it. We call g- us. Yeah, we giggle about we, it. We crack a joke about Colin Kaepernick, and that immediately makes us racists and Trump supporters. 
What? Where did that come from? Because we made a joke. I make a joke going the other way. All of a sudden, I'm a flaming liberal, and I'm I, I'm oh well, you're you're against us. I'm not against anybody. I'm just saying what I think, and I'm talking about how I feel about things. You're all taking statements. Just like what is happening to LaShawn McCoy, you're taking a statement and you're construing it as something that you're making your own conclusions as to who I am, what I've done, what I'm about. It's incredibly frustrating to me. I'm going to open up. You know, one of the things that I've heard a lot in positive reviews of the show is just how open and honest we are about ourselves and our lives. Okay. Here's a little something from me. My mother. My mother had me when she was young. My biological father, I have never met the man. He was extremely abusive to my mother. And she's no longer with him. Luckily, she met my father and he taught me all the finer points of what being a man was about. He taught me everything I needed to know growing up. He raised me. Does that include uh, flipping picnic tables while people are sitting at said picnic table? (laughs) Maybe not that. But the fact remains, Chris, I, I carry this around with me all the time. I mean, my mom constantly comes to me and she's like, why are you so angry? And she's right. I'm an angry human being. When you get down to brass tacks, anybody who knows me, I'm angry as a person. Just It's right there under the surface, an inch or two, just waiting to come out. <laughs> She bl- She says she's read, you know, documentaries and I've read things that it's because, you know, sons who grow up without knowing their biological fathers have this anger and they just have questions and things that go unanswered and that makes them the way that they are. Well, I'll tell you this. I have so much. I do have anger over the fact that this man that I've never met and never will meet put his hands on my mother that way. I actually physically can't be in the same room with him. I've declined multiple invitations to meet the man simply because I know that I can't control myself to a point where I can be put in the same room with the guy. I can't. That's not hyperbole. That's not me trying to... So with that being said, if after all of that, feeling the way that I feel, I mean, I I think that I'd say at least half of the acts of violence that I've... I've perpetrated over the course of my own life, throughout my early 20s. A lot of that came about because I wasn't happy with the way men were treating women. You can call it white knighting, you can call what you want, but this is just the way I feel. So if after all that, feeling the way that I feel, I'm still here preaching to anyone that will listen, that when these sorts of circumstances come about, They require more than just a few ounces of maturity and some patience. Then there's nothing I can do for you. If you can't or simply won't be reasonable, then I can't force you to. But I also won't entertain your commentary or your criticisms. I mean, everyone has lost their minds over this subject. And a lot of them because they did it when the first news broke. And everyone made up their mind as to guilt, innocence. Like I said, it's, it's incredible to me that we live here today. I understand that this could all blow up in my face tonight, Chris. I get it. 
Me saying this out loud, our listeners could revolt against us, and I could I couldn't give a damn because I can't hold this in anymore. Well, I don't I don't know how they can revolt against you. You're so far in the last five, ten minutes you've been talking about this. You've you've put out there that I need to see the facts before I can draw a conclusion. I mean, if anybody could understand wanting to be mad at someone who might have put their hands on a woman, it would be me. And yet I'm the one over here preaching the fact that I want people to just take a step back. Step back off the ledge, take a deep breath, and let's wait for it to play out. Let let all of the evidence be laid out in yeah. front of you before you make a decision on something. Or before you start attacking other people for not agreeing with it. Because I know that's going to be the next thing. I've already heard it. Me, myself, I've already heard it. Well, you you don't agree that he's a scumbag, so you're a piece of shit. Okay, then I guess I'm a scumbag. Because I'd like to wait and make a rational adult decision on the matter. With everything that's going on in society, I can't just sit here and pretend that it doesn't bother me, Chris. In fact, it scares the hell out of me. To see that how people, I mean, Chris, people, regardless of status, can be judged so quickly. Celebrity, common folk, it doesn't matter. And how... So many people are so eager to rant and rage over theories based on incomplete information, whether it's sports, politics, crime, religion. It's reckless. The whole thing is reckless, and everyone needs to take a deep breath and calm down. I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, this is witch hunt type stuff. And I hate saying that because maybe he's guilty. And if he is, then he'll, whatever happens to him, he'll deserve. But can we all just take a step back from the ledge? It's frightening to think that at the first sign of guilt, not even proof of guilt, but sign of guilt, there's so many people who are willing to just turn on someone. We as people are willing to turn on each other that quickly. I... <laughs> I don't know. To quote a band that I loved in my 20s, oh, Rise, this, oh, Rise Against. Oh, I thought it was going to be Hawthorne Heights. I don't ask for much. Truth be told, I'd settle for a life less frightening. I got to take a second. Are you, are you good now? I'm good. All right. All right, what's next on the docket? Next Let's on the docket. move on from this. You got right. heated. Calm down. Say it with me. Goosefraba. 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 I understand, and I'm here. I'm plugged in. I'm ready to go. Ooh, God, I had to take a walk away from the table, folks. We've come back here, and we're going to pick things up with... Lorenzo Alexander tipping, possibly tipping the NFL Players Association's hand. As fans, we're used to hearing the Lorax, Lorenzo Alexander, speak publicly. I mean, he's not only one of the elder statesmen on the Buffalo Bills, but he's also well-spoken and a pretty solid guy who's easy to talk to. But at the same time, Alexander is also a member of the executive committee of the NFLPA. And so this week, in an interview with SiriusXM NFL Radio, 
Fans around the league got to hear him discussing the current state of labor in the NFL and how, if the players have anything to say about it, the landscape could be changing dramatically. He openly advocated that the NFLPA is aware of the need for more guaranteed dollars for its players and pointed to the fact that the MLB and NBA both have those sorts of contracts without needing any special stipulations built into the CBA. It's just something that the players and owners and GM all agreed that they deserve. Now, if you are any kind of baseball fan, you are paying attention to this upcoming offseason because all of the rage is that Bryce Harper is going to command a 500, I'm saying that right, 500 million dollar contract as a free agent this offseason for baseball. So with that, we go on to the comments of Todd Gurley, running back for the Los Angeles Rams. He took those comments a step further a few days later, saying that he thinks players are ready to strike over this and that a lockout could be the only thing that gets them what they want. I think out of the whole interview, one of the juiciest quotes was this, and I'm going to read verbatim. We definitely got to fix this situation because there's no excuse for a C-level player in the NBA to get paid as much, set in context over his career, as the best running back or best wide receiver in the NFL. It just doesn't add up. Now, for my own research on the topic, in a 2017 article at Deadspin.com, Writer Dom Constantino made the point that the four major North American sports, of all of them, the NFL is the only one that doesn't have a majority, if not all of its players, signed to contracts that are fully guaranteed. And I understand, you know, I understand why they wouldn't. I mean, injury, football is the most contact sport. Chris, hockey, baseball, basketball, it's not nearly the contact sport that football is. So a player's shelf life is much shorter. I'm not going to argue hockey (laughs) for the sake of time constraints. (laughs) So with that, I'll say this. For those that he brought up in this article, he brought up a pretty solid measurement for this argument. For anybody out there who's old enough to remember... Donovan McNabb was traded from Philly to Washington in 2010. When he got there, he signed what was at the time a monster extension. Five years, $78 million with $10 million in incentives. I mean, Chris, that was it. Washington had their starter for the foreseeable future. And Donovan McNabb didn't have to spend the twilight years of his career looking over his shoulder. Or wondering about when his, where his next paycheck was going to come from, right? Yeah, I vaguely remember that. Wrong. He lasted, what, one year? Exactly. In 2011, McNabb was traded to the Vikings who waived him. Since his contract contained language that made his four years after the first year essentially team options, he never saw another red cent of that contract. And that was the end of his NFL playing career. And while that set of circumstances might be somewhat unique, given the fact that he played the quarterback position and just the amount of money involved overall, the story isn't. 
So while Kirk Cousins, <laughs> until the Kirk Cousins deal, guaranteed contracts were about as rare as offer sheets in hockey or women spending the night here in your apartment, Chris. God, that's been forever since that's happened. So the question has to be, why? Why is this happening? Why can't the players get guaranteed contracts? The truth? I don't know. It seems like a bit of a gray area. Well, I mean, I don't have, like, I've never had a serious conversation with friend of the show, Reed Ferguson, about it, but I all the time jokingly tell him, make sure you're saving your money for that lockout in 2021. Well, that's it. If you hear them talk about it, it's coming. Okay? So this is what I see. When I look at the facts, a summary of my investigation on the topic ends up at this. The NFLPA has always been behind the curve, and the owners love doing things the way they've always been done. Old boys club versus, hey, here's a group of people who really aren't looking at the big picture. You know, that might be a number that I might be interested to, to know about. The, take all four major sports, baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. The uh, average age of each owner. Because if you look in the NFL, I want to say... I all of the owners in the NFL are like over 60 and 70. Yeah. So you have that old school way of, of thinking. You don't have some young mind like a Mark Cuban in the NBA. <laughs> well, it goes a little bit beyond that, Chris. I mean, first and foremost, Major League Baseball, National Hockey, and National Basketball, every one of those leagues had at, at least a version of, a free agency in place by the mid-1970s. The NFL didn't get that until 1993. Reggie White. I mean, players weren't allowed to take their talents and just ply them to the highest bidder until the 90s, 23 years after other leagues started getting that right. I mean, that's, that's embarrassing. And that, even to get that, they had to break the union and go to court. That was one of the few times they had leverage. And it turns out they used it on other... Because up to that point, they had been using it in other places. That's all it comes down to. They had been fighting other fights and not what actually mattered to make their players happier, to get them more money. Then... When you look on the flip side for the NFL, there's the, f the financial regulations involved with the structure of NFL contracts. It's all highly complicated. <sighs> I mean, considering all the proof that we've been given over the years that NFL owners don't like doing things they consider to be radical or different, it shouldn't come as a shock to anyone that they balk at changing the way that they, <sighs> they balk at everything. I mean, they, they don't... Chris, they don't want to admit that they're wrong or that the way business is going is somehow out of sorts. Correct? Yeah, that's correct. Well, like, I mean, I, like, I'd, I don't even, I mean, I don't know if you have it in, in, your, in your notes, but I mean, I'd, how many billions of dollars does the NFL create in revenue? Well, last year, I think they made $14 billion, And yet you have players making less. Star players who are still somehow making less than scrub players in other leagues. And that's what they're frustrated about. They see the dollars and they're not seeing the return. 
So now, when you look at it from the side of the NFL owners, okay, it comes down to contract stipulations, the way the CBA is written. The NFL is the only league in the North in North America that has stipulations written into its CBA about how a contract can be written, how the finances are to be, you know, sorted. It's frustrating. It's almost like a trap that's built against the players. Because here's the thing. For practical purposes, when a contract gets announced, you hear three figures. Total dollars, signing bonus, and guaranteed in total. Right? Correct. Okay. Of these, the least important to ownership is the total dollars. That doesn't matter. When you hear a $150 million contract, it's not $150 million. If the guarantees are only 75, then the only number they give a shit about is 75. Here's the reason why. That's because when a player gets a portion of a contract that's fully guaranteed, it's been negotiated into the CBA that the team has to take that sum and place it into escrow. Think of it like a security deposit on an apartment. It gets held aside in case something bad happens. In this case... So that if the team or owner goes belly up, the player still gets the money that was guaranteed to him the day he signed that contract. Now, given the size of NFL contracts, you can imagine that owners would they, they would hate the idea of taking $82.5 million in the case of Kirk Cousins and having it sit in an escrow account where they don't have access to it and where it certainly isn't generating the type of interest that they'd likely get if they had invested it in other avenues. I mean, these guys didn't get rich and stay rich by underutilizing their resources. Chris, I, rich guys want to be rich, right? Yeah. Nobody wants to see their That's why money. Pagula's in the oil business. <laughs> Nobody wants to see their money going anywhere else. So. If you ask me, it's an antiquated policy. Going back to the days when the guys who owned NFL teams weren't all billionaires. You know, the, the, <laughs> where being a rich guy and being a broke guy happened pretty quickly. I mean, think about it. Ralph Wilson bought the bills for about $50,000. Yeah, and then when he sold it for billions. He sold it for billions. That's the point. And, it, and, it's a, and also the fact that we're not a prominent NFL organization. I mean, just imagine if Jerry Jones had to give up the Cowboys. How many billions of dollars is that team worth? Does anybody remember when Wayne Gretzky got essentially sold to the LA Kings from Edmonton because their owner was going bankrupt and he needed money? Yeah. Okay. That's another sports league that still has guaranteed contracts. Who, when an owner went broke in the 80s and he sold a player. Okay? Because he needed the cash. He just needed the cash to keep himself afloat. That's not a problem. This type of policy is meant to prevent that type of situation. But that's not the environment we currently exist in today in 2018. And because of that, I feel like there is absolutely going to be... I mean, because if anybody loves antiquated policies, it's the NFL. So there is absolutely a fight coming over this. I mean, players don't speak as plainly or as publicly as Lorenzo is about this topic unless there have been some in-depth discussions 
amongst the members of the NFLPA on the subject. And at the same time, we know that as fans of the game, while things for players have certainly gotten better in terms of pay and safety, the owners haven't had a great track record of doing things in the interest of players, especially when it comes to, I don't know, just trying to make their lives simpler. I'd say this. Based on the comments by Lorenzo Alexander, I, I invite you all to go and educate yourself on them and definitely pay attention to his future interviews, wherever they may be, whether it's on SiriusXM, whether it's anywhere. He's become kind of the mouthpiece for this. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that affects us this upcoming season. But I mean, buckle your chin straps. Because the next year or two leading up to the expiration of the CBA could get really ugly. And with that, we kick off our 2018 AFC training camp roundup. AFC East training camp roundup. And we're kicking things off with the New York Jets. Joe blew it. So he over-pursues and he has to dive at the ankles, which he does sometimes too much. He throws the back shoulder fade. So that's a really good move by McCown. Turn on the Jets film room. boys and girls children of all ages we have on the show with us tonight mr joe blewett of you know new york jets podcasting fame turn on the jets film room (laughs) jesus get it right how are you doing sir doing good just got off of work it's fun to see you guys behind this the uh scenes here and see your whole setup of course it looks like you got alcohol in those glasses (laughs) which is not a surprise to me from (laughs) you guys so how else are we supposed to live oh just wait Chris, in fact, if you could do me a favor and if you could fish me about three beers out of that fridge, I, I would yeah. very much appreciate that. Got it. Uh, we, we, like to, we like to hang loose here on the uh, Rockpile Report podcast. So, Joe, a lot's changed. The last time we spoke to you, last October, there you were hosting Jet Nation Radio. It seems like you've kind of changed, uh, kind of changed locations, changed formats. Uh, what's the story behind that? Um, it was just time for me to move on to a different website for many different reasons, um, but mostly I wanted to grow in some different ways than I was with uh, Jet Nation, so I went to turn on the Jets with Joe Caparoso and Scott Mason and all those guys. Uh, Kyle Fahey's there, but he doesn't really matter much. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it was, just, it, was, it, was, it was time for a change of scenery. It's been, it was three years of Jet Nation radio and doing work for Jet Nation, but... Uh, you know, change scenery, and we'll see how it works out. So I'll tell you this: you, out of everybody else, you know, you, Joe Caparoso does phenomenal work. I'm a huge fan of Joe Caparoso, even though I assume that if he and I were to get in the same room and try to talk football, we'd butt heads a bit. I'm a, I respect the man's work. I respect what he's putting together over there, and I love the fact that you're a part of now what they're doing over there at Turn on the Jets. So. Since the last time we spoke, a lot's changed for you. You've, you've uh, found a new career. Are you engaged yet? No, no. I'm sick of getting asked that question. And <laughs> Don't I come do on it. this type of podcast and talk about football to escape that stuff, and you guys bring it in automatically, which has just ruined my whole entire mood. So. Well, Drew's only doing that because he just got married. Uh, yeah, that's that's rough, man. Uh, you're probably pressured into it too, but it'll happen <laughs> soon enough, but not anytime soon. I'm too freaking busy right now. Listen, you're a good-looking cat. You're apparently six feet tall, which I didn't understand before we started talking off air today. So uh, you've got that going for you. Things will be okay. You're going to make out no matter what happens. All right? Yeah. 
And Hell then, yeah. <laughs> and so I guess when we talk about the Jets, you know, you spent years running podcasts and doing things. You, know, you've, you Right now, you've been doing a film series on Twitter. Anybody can go, oh, what's your Twitter handle, Joe, just so they can find you? It's JoeRB31. Okay. So, guys, he's been doing a film series on the Jets where he's breaking down specific plays. He's picking a player and showing their highlights, their lowlights. It's really in-depth stuff. You know, normally the kind of stuff we see from cover one over here on the Bills side of things. It's really interesting to hear it from a Jets fan perspective, though. You know, when you're doing this, is it hard to stay subjective? Um, no, not well. Yeah, in certain certain aspects, it is. Yeah, you might your fandom might take over a little bit, but I'm definitely one to call out players. Like, you know, let's say for example, whoever player it is, player X, Darren Lee. You know, Jets fans might hype him up a lot. And they don't really like him at all. But I'll do the film reviews, and I'm going to show. You know, let's say if I if I get ten plays, five of them are, or if I get ten plays and five of them are bad. And five of them are good. I'm not gonna like kind of alter it to those where those ten plays are gonna be, you know, seven good and three bad. I show exactly what I see. I talk about it, so I don't like. I'm not really even allowed to have that bias because it's right there in front of you. Well, so I'm not gonna say it's a good play when it's a bad play. So. And that's exactly why I thought you were the perfect person to walk through all of this with us tonight. Because here we are, you know, we're heading up to training camp. Everybody's, you know, every fan base is just itching to see what's gonna happen with their team. But every team is different. Every team's makeup is different. Coaching, you know, everything from the top down for every franchise in this division, everybody has a little bit of a different situation. And the Jets, I don't really know what to make of them, which is why we wanted to start with you guys because I want some time to kind of get a picture as to what your team is. Now, first and foremost, Vegas is sleeping on the, the Jets hard. Gang Green is getting no love. AFC East betting odds according to Odd Shark. Oddshark.com, if you wanted to put $100 okay, on a team, you play the money line to win the division. New England, if you wanted to win $100, you would have to bet $1,500. Buffalo comes in in second place at paying out $450 for every $100 bet. Miami and the Jets are tied at $600 plus $600 apiece. I mean, so far, the Cardinals are the only team that I've seen with worse odds at plus 800 to make the postseason. Do you agree with this assessment of the team? And what do you think might be driving that, uh, as far as Vegas is concerned, the perception of the Jets? Um, no, I don't necessarily agree with it. And I'm not going to be one of those Jets fans who's going to say the Jets are, you know, they're in contention for a wild card spot. They're going to the playoffs. I think the Jets are more of a. If I had to guess right now, which obviously it's harder with injuries and all that, I would say like a seven and nine team, maybe six and ten on, on a bad year. But I would say seven and nine. Um, you know, if gun to my head right now, and I think the reason that people sleep on them is because of the Jets. It's it's the easy team to make fun of. Um, one, two. If you are doing an article, whatever it may be, um, if you want to get some publicity and make some noise, you're gonna you're gonna crap on the New York teams because they have huge markets. So it's it's an easy jab. Uh, the Jets have been bad before and. You know, it is what it is. I'm not one. I'm not a player, so I don't really care too much. And two, they they have to prove it. Once they prove it, once they come out and they, you know, consistent like seven and nine, eight and eight years while they're rebuilding and they start making the playoffs. Uh, hopefully, if Sam Darnold's good, then that will change. But the Jets haven't earned anything. Um, I think that with the cap room they had this off season, they've added definitely a few pieces that I that I like a lot. And going into next year, they have another hundred million dollars with the young core 
um, around Sam Darnold already in a young core on defense. So they're a team that's looking up. You know, like I said, seven and nine. But um, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go crazy about being one of the you know air quotes worst teams, even though I don't necessarily agree with it. See, and that makes sense. That's a very pragmatic way to look at it. And I appreciate the fact that you are willing to be reasonable. <laughs> you have no idea some of the, I mean, the conversations that we've had tonight. I'm emotionally drained. I got nothing left. So, well, with, you're married. So with that, we're gonna. So I'm. We got to take this one one side of the ball at a time. Biggest yeah. offensive storylines that you're gonna be paying attention to for the Jets coming up to training camp. Now, when you look at the 2017 rankings. Things clearly didn't go the way you guys wanted them to. You guys finished 28th in total yards, 24th in points per game, 24th in passing yards, 19th in rushing yards, and 24th in sacks allowed. I guess the first place I want to start is this. What do you think in your position are the strongest position groups heading into training camp? So we're going the strongest, not the weakest? Strongest. Uh, strongest, I'm definitely, and, and this is one that's over overlooked. And like I said, I'm not going to be one of those Jets fans who's hyping them up, but I think wide receiver is definitely overlooked right now. I see it a lot, but I think, I'm not sure if it's under 25 or if it's just in general, but I know the Jets are one of the only teams in the NFL with three receivers who uh, had over 800 yards in a season. Uh, Quincy Inunua is a wrecking ball. He can play every single position, so I don't understand that. Robbie Anderson um, is one of the best young deep threats in the entire league. And I, I'm not being biased there. You watch his film. He's incredible going deep. And Jermaine Curse is, you know, the, the prototypical Z receiver who's going to, you know, get you five yards on a slant and be able to take a shot in the mouth from a linebacker or, or, or you know, crack block a defensive end. So they have a solid uh, core there of, of pretty young players. Chad Hansen's another guy that's been making some noise at training camp. So hopefully he could – um, you know, build upon that, even though it's training camp. So at the same time, yeah, he could build on this, but at the same time, we've also had guys like Clyde Gates who've been good in training camp and absolutely suck. So um, you have him. Obviously, Terrell Pryor is a guy who people are. Not, I'm not even gonna say like sleeping on because I don't know if he's gonna make any noise. He's the fourth or fifth receiver right now, and in Cleveland, you know, two years ago he was making noise. He had a thousand plus yards with whoever the hell they're playing at quarterback. So I think uh, the at Jets one point are, he actually had to play quarterback. At one point, they went through th- two quarterbacks in a single game, and Terrell Pryor had to come under center and take emergency quarterback snaps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, he's a versatile guy, and I, I think being you know four or five deep right there, minus those, um, you know, not minus, but behind those guys who are those you know eight hundred plus yard receivers who are 24, 25 years old. I think the Jets have a have a solid wide receiver core. So I'm definitely say that's the strongest part in their team. Now. I'm not going to lie. The very first thing on my checklist underneath that question was wide receiver depth chart, mix of potential and proven talent. You guys, unlike the Buffalo Bills, have a wide receiver core who have all proven at some point, at least your top three, that they can go out there and they can create some ruckus. At the same time, you've got young talents like a Chad Hansen, like an Ardarius Stewart, you know, Alabama, roll tide. A little bit of bias there. I might be sensing it, but okay. (laughs) I don't know what he's actually proving at the NFL level, but the fact is you guys have this interesting mix of guys who have proven that they can do some things really well and some mixes of guys who are young and are still growing into, you know, kind of finding their way in the NFL. Yeah, well, you have, you know, like even like Chad Hansen, sorry to interrupt you, but listen, he's a a fourth, um, fourth round pick. So to expect him to do a lot in his first year, 
is is utterly ridiculous. So the fact that he's shown some things last year, um, specifically that sideline catch over over Mar- Marshawn Lattimore and what he's doing at camp, um, even if you become a solid role player, that that's good for for a fourth or fifth guy. So that's one thing that I think is just a a Jets narrative. The Jets suck. They have no receivers, but because they don't watch film, you watch film. There, there's literally no way you could say that um, with any sense. So, so I guess then we flip to the other side of the coin. Weakest position group heading into training camp on offense. If you had to peg one, where would you put it? Just one. Um, <laughs> oh no! So, they still, so they, no, they, they still have weaknesses. Um, I, I'm gonna go with two. I'm, I'm gonna take. You know, it's my second time on the show, so I'm gonna go with two. Um, even though you asked for one. I'll also go a little bit shorter. Hey, you, tight end. If you want to tell me terrible things about your own team, I will let you go. Yeah, tight end is it's not necessarily terrible, but it's unproven. Chris Hernan, fourth round pick. Can he do much? I'm not really too sure. He's, you know, fourth round rookie for a reason. Um, not in the first or second round. Jordan Leggett, fifth round two years ago. He was injured all of last year. Really just a receiving guy. You're not gonna get anything uh, out of him in the in the uh, pass blocking game. He's just not strong enough or willing enough. Uh, doesn't play with consistent leverage. You have guys like Clive Walford who did okay with the Raiders, but then he got in some car accidents. He's been terrible the last couple of years. Uh, Eric Tomlinson, who's the you know the inline wide type blocking guy who could catch the ball, I guess if you really need him to. So that's a relatively weak and unproven group with with a slight pitch, uh, bit of potential. And then offensive line, I, I think is is probably the weakest right now. Calvin Beachum is an okay below average type. Uh, left tackle in this league. He can hold his own in pass blocking running game. He doesn't create any push at all. Brandon Shell is the same type of thing. He's decent as a pass blocker, <clears throat> but he's absolutely terrible as a run blocker. You have Brian Winters, who was hurt last year, so he gets a little bit of a pass, but he was still really bad. And even when the Jets signed him from what they did, he was still a average to below average right guard. Uh, Spencer Long is probably, in terms of talent, the best Jets offensive lineman, but the problem is he played, I think, five games last year. And he's had a history of, of knee problems. So we will really stay healthy. So that's a big question. And then James Carpenter is one of these guys who, if you see Jets fans talking him up, it's because they don't watch the film. <laughs> um, last year, you know, I hear all pro, pro ball type player. It's absolutely bogus. Uh, he was really, really bad last year. No injuries. He's a good man-to-man blocking type scheme. Um, left guard, when you ask him to pull and to zone block on on stretch plays, that type of thing, he just doesn't have the athleticism to do it, and, and it really showed last year. Um, so the Jets' offensive line is definitely the, probably the biggest question mark. So if you don't like their offensive line, you have this rookie quarterback. Do you want McCown or Darnold to start knowing you have such a bad offensive line? And you don't want Darnold to end up like Luck last year with a shoulder injury and he's shelled for a whole year. No, well, so it so this is obviously a big question among Jets fans: Is Sam Darnold going to play? Obviously, trading up to get him, number three pick. Uh, people really want to see him play, and I'm not I'm not going to put it on the offensive line. I'm I'm really going to put it on his mechanics, and that's probably one of the biggest issues with his game, minus him just taking just really ballsy shots sometimes, where he's asking himself to make the perfect throw, and not even just make the perfect throw. There's times where he's drifting out of the pocket or his feet aren't set, or he's jumping in the air and he's asking himself to make the perfect throw. So it's not like he has a perfect base, he's asking himself to make the perfect throw. He's trying to make the perfect throw without good mechanics. Um, so that's one of his, um, that's probably his biggest issue. I got off a little bit there. But the other one is his mechanics, you know, stepping in the bucket. Uh, he doesn't really drive off his back leg as much as I would like to see him, um, and some things like that. So if his mechanics are fixed, then play him. But my problem is people just want to rush him in there and, oh, you know, let him, let him learn by going to the fire. But the problem with mechanics is 
if your mechanic if your mechanics are on a hundred percent down pat, uh, you go into the game and shit hits the fan. You're gonna revert back to those bad mechanics, and it's gonna be harder to work yourself up back to that hundred percent where your mechanics are good. So why stall the progress? if his mechanics aren't good. So it's all about mechanics for me and if, if he plays or not. Well, and so I guess that brings us to the question of the quarterback competition. That's one of the biggest things I'm assuming every Jets fan and also yeah. every Bills fan is watching what's happening with the Jets. It comes down to the quarterback. Yeah. Last year, Josh McCown was your quarterback. And mm-hmm. he actually doubled his career win total with you guys last year. He doubled it. Oh. I, and I've heard that, and that's another story about him too. And listen, he's not good. He's probably bottom three still. Thank um, so you. He's a, he's a bad, he's a bad starter. But I've had arguments with Jets fans. He's not a good backup, which I think he's one. Of, he's one of the best backups in the league if he's a backup. Um, well, Eighteen touchdowns, nine interceptions. He was okay last year, um, but you know. But keep going. Well, so my, I guess my question comes down to. What's what is the quarterback position for the Jets? Because that's kind of going to dictate how the whole offense flows. So I've got a couple questions. I'm going to start okay. the first one off. What is the story with Teddy Bridgewater? I've heard a lot of McCown. I've heard a lot of Sam Darnold. I haven't heard a peep about this guy. Yet he's a former starter who won his division behind a strong defense and not for nothing almost won a playoff game. Yeah, it was at Blair Walsh. If he didn't miss that field goal kick, they would have won. Yes. Like 17-yard kick or whatever. Yes, a, like a 19-yard kick that just I might didn't be able, make it. I might be able to do that like a 12-pack deep. But, <laughs> um, I, you know, probably, probably take me a couple of times, but still, I'll get close. Uh, yeah, so Bridgewater, and this is from Beat Reporters, and I'm not one of those guys. That, like, I don't really rely on Beat Reporters too much um, just because I don't really know what they really know. Um, but – he looks healthy. They say he looks really, really good in camps. So that's a positive. I think he is a chess piece, not a chess. Yeah, I guess a chess piece. They're going to try to trade. I think they're going to play him a lot in the preseason. I think McCown's going to be one of those guys who gets like the first drive or two and then split the game between Bridgewater and Darnold. And they're going to field offers for him the entire time. Maybe he even comes to the season. He plays the first two, two to four games and they try to trade him to like, let's say, you know, it seemed like maybe, I don't know, the Jaguars and he competes with Blake Bortles, or if Aaron Rodgers goes down again, they trade him to the Packers or somebody like that. Uh, so I think he's a, I think he's a trade ship. I don't think they signed him for one year. No, um, you know, with his potential and knowing that Donald is going to take over the team at some point, um, they'd be stupid not to trade him if they can get, you know, let's say even if it's a fourth round pick, you're recouping some of those picks that you traded away to get Donald. Um, so I, I think he's a, he's a chess piece that they're going to trade. So. It's interesting to hear you talk about him as a guy that you feel like should be traded rather than be groomed as a future backup. I mean, I think it speaks to the fact that he has experience and he's had success at an NFL level that's proven. So if you have to look at the quarterback race heading into training camp, because that's what everyone's going to be glued to here, at least from the Bills perspective, we're going to be wondering who is starting under center for these guys come week one. Is Darnold truly going to be given, in your opinion, a shot at winning the starting job? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think, you know, when you move up to draft a guy, you trade, you know, what, three second-round draft picks to get him, they're going to give him every opportunity to play. If they see that he's ready, his mechanics are good, he understands the offense, he can read the defense, he's not throwing picks in practice, um, all these types of things, I think they'll let him start. There's no, no reason to, let him, uh, to not let him start. You have a young 
um, you know, new quarterback, 20 years old. You traded up third round draft pick, or I mean, sorry, third overall draft pick, especially with Woody Johnson too. I think he'll push a little bit for him to start. So if, if he's playing well in training camp, I, I think he's a starter. Like I said, for me personally, it's about mechanics. Um, I don't know if Jets coaches agree with that, but that's just my, my thought. I think you can kind of like play, you know, get thrown into the fire with maybe let's say reading defenses or anticipation throws, things like that or speed of the NFL. But when it comes to the mechanics, that's that's hard uh, to just get thrown in there with bad mechanics. So we'll see. I think he has a, fa- I think he has a fair shot. I think it's it's even. Whoever whoever plays the best is going to go in and, and play. So. And then not for nothing, real quick, I just want to throw it in here. But here's something that I guess I I want answers to selfishly. New offensive coordinator, <laughs> Todd Bowles is now on his third offensive coordinator in what four years. <laughs> He had Gailey for two, Morton for one. Now he's on a new offensive coordinator, Josh Bates, who was the former quarterback's coach. What I mean, now we here on the Bills have watched an, a new offensive coordinator come in, drastically change the offensive scheme, and throw off what we thought we knew about players, certain players' talents. Yeah, that's why that, that's why underutilized or improperly utilized. That's why that coach is now on the Jets yeah. coaching staff, Rick Dennison. <laughs> Enjoy it. So, I guess my question is that has there been any sense from you that things are going to drastically shift from where you were last year to where you are this year in terms of scheme? In terms, no, in terms of the scheme, um, and this, like, like I said, it's it's a beat reporter type thing. This is like the insider knowledge, air quotes, insider knowledge. They're saying that, at least the Jets are saying, that um, Bates was calling a good amount of the plays last year as compared to Morton. So he was actually in on the play calling for a lot of the year. Um, so it's not going to change too much, maybe a little bit uh, in terms of philosophy. And one of the reasons they said Morton was fired was because he didn't run the ball enough, which I, I think is crazy because if you watch the Jets' running game, they, they couldn't block um, at all. <laughs> so it was, just, it was just terrible. So why would you want to run the ball more and you can't gain a yard? Uh, even even on first and ten, it's not like it's second and, and you know second and one. You can you can't gain a yard. It's like first and ten, they can't gain a yard. So um, I think that they like what they saw from Bates in terms of play calling last year, and they wanted to move on with him. So and there's also some rumors about Morton being a little bit hard headed and not adjusting his scheme and not uh, getting along with players and that type of thing. So I think it was kind of just a lateral move uh, to a guy that they are a little bit more comfortable with. He was already calling some of the plays last year. Just he was didn't have the title offensive coordinator. I mean, not for nothing. Hopefully it works in every game for you, except for those against the Buffalo Bills. Now on the defensive side of the ball, okay, 2017 rankings, you guys were 23rd in scoring defense, 25th in yards allowed, 21st in turnovers, 28th in sacks, 27th in first downs allowed, 18th in rushing touchdowns and 30th in passing touchdowns. Now, that last one, you know, off air before we started, I mentioned to you that I took a look at what you guys did to your secondary this year. Bringing in Tremaine Johnson, forcing Buster Screen to compete going into camp against other players to play that nickel corner role. That's your secondary all of a sudden looks like, if they all play to their potential, a juggernaut. Okay? That looks like the backbone of a solid defense. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, you guys have veteran presences, at least that season talent across the board. I guess my first question for you is on the defensive side of the ball, 
What young talent are you going to be keeping an eye on as training camp starts that you expect to show growth? Oh, well, you're going to start, you're talking about that secondary and growth in young players. It's obviously the two, the two safeties. That's, that's, there's no doubt about it. Um, Jamal Adams, he, he had a problem last year just in terms of his aggressiveness. He's a little bit too aggressive and he has to learn how to hone it in a little bit at times. Um, but he, he has a potential to be, to be a really freaking good player. I like Adams a lot. Marcus May was, uh, I think, a little bit worse than Jets fans think he was. He did give up. Uh, not actually, he didn't give up. There was times, probably f- maybe four or five, maybe six times during the year where he was beat for touchdowns that the quarterback did not throw the ball um, to his side because I guess I mean else was just on you know on the other side of the the player, the formation, the concept was open even more. Um, so I'm, I'm looking for growth from both of them, but I, I think that's going to be a really solid safety duo for the for for years and years to come. And then you kind of. Uh, put on top of the fact that they have Tremaine Johnson coming in as number one and let Morris Claiborne play as a two. They're, they're secondary. I'm not going to say a juggernaut. I would say top ten um, potential, which which I'm, I'm happy with. So. Oh, absolutely. Heading into training camp, that's all you want. You want to know that you're, you're secondary in a league that passes all the time yeah. has the ability to do that. Last year, you guys did. Last year, you guys gave up a lot of passing yards. It seems like they identified, especially Buster Screen. I mean, he was – Joe, how would you describe his performance last year? Terrible. Is he on the bubble? No. he's See, he's not on the bubble um, because there, w- there was probably four or five games he actually did play really well. But he's just not – he's not good. He's not as good as what they made it out to be when they signed him for the money that they did. So he's, he's below average, but he's not, the, he's not Kyle Wilson bad, but he's still bad. <laughs> okay, Kyle so, Wilson. Kyle, Kyle Wilson was awful. So what? Yeah. You're, so what you're telling us is Buster Screen is to cornerbacks is what Kyle Fahey is to podcasting. <laughs> I wouldn't even disrespect Buster Screen like that, but yeah, <laughs> somewhere close to it. <laughs> Fantastic. So on the defensive side of the ball, yeah. I, what position group do you think? Considering the fact that when I look at the the roster as a whole, I see a unit that should be much improved from last year. Where do you think your biggest concerns are going to come from as training camp starts? And I, I actually want to start this off with the, a question. What of the linebackers? I mean, this is what I had to say about Deron Lee prior to the 2016 draft before the Jets ever drafted him. The guy is Keith Ellison 2.0. He can suck my ass. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so in terms of the linebacker group, uh, the middle linebackers, I'm not as concerned because I, with – and Lee, I'm not a big fan of him either, but I have some confidence in the backups they brought in with, with Pierre Lewis and with Kevin Minter who played under Bulls in Arizona who was – Looked at as a guy coming into not this year's free agency, the year before that, as a one of the top three linebackers behind what was it? Uh, um, Zach Brown, I believe it was. Yes, and, sir. Um, I'm blanking out on the on the Patriots linebacker who was hurt all last year. Um, I don't know why I'm blanking out on his name. Hightower. Hightower, yeah, yeah, Hightower. I'm so smart. I'm not. I'm not crazy concerned about the line, the the middle linebackers. I really do like Avery Williamson a lot, like a lot, a lot. Uh, but the pass rush is a massive concern for the Jets. They have nobody who could pass, who, who rushed the passer. And that was the reason last year that I did give up a lot of passing yards because you're playing soft coverage. You know, when you're playing nine yards off, it's hard to guard a slant. Uh, it put it in really simple, to, or simple simpleton terms. 
Um, so it's, you know, that's definitely the biggest concern. And they didn't address it. And, and, and that's why it's really worrisome because they have the same thing they had last year and it's not going to get much better unless maybe a young guy pops up and can be a role player type guy who could rush the passer. But I, I really doubt it. To take that a step further, the Jets' defensive line was previously dominant. When you talk mm-hmm. about back in the glory days of Sheldon Richardson winning Defensive Rookie of the Year and Mo Wilkerson being a force on the line. And Rex Ryan is the head coach. Now, one place for the Seahawks, one place for the Packers, and suddenly you've got... Uh, Sheldon you, plays for the Vikings now. The Vikings, Jesus, that's right. Oh, my yeah. God. I remember talking about that on this podcast, about how little sense that made. Except when I looked at this is a team that's loading up to try to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> like oh, this, yeah. they, oh, they yeah. don't care what money they spend. We need reserve pass rushers. We'll pay them $7 million a year. We don't give a shit. So <laughs> when I'm talking about defensive line, though, you guys went, you guys went from having this core. You know, the defensive line for the Jets was always the strength of that defense over the last five seasons. Now you've got McClendon and Williams as starters, and Lorenzo Malden is stepping in at defensive end from a reserve role to possibly a starter from last season. Is there any concern there in Jet Nation that this defensive line might not be up to snuff? Oh, the, I don't think the Jets' defensive line has really been good since like 2015. Um, Wilkerson, he got hurt that, that one year, the, the year after. He didn't play well, and the year after that, he was, he just didn't try. There There's plenty of examples I have on film of him just completely loafing. Um, so Wilkerson is kind of addition by subtraction type of player. If you just have a body in there who's going to put in effort, it's better than Wilkerson last year. That's why he got signed for, what, $5 million, $4 million, whatever it was in the Packers. There's a reason for that, that you know, coming off a $17 million contract to a $5 million contract. Um, Sheldon's been gone for a couple of years now. McClendon is a player, you know, I'll crap on Lee, I'll crap on screen. McClendon's a player I think is underrated, uh, you know, that, that hard-nosed three-tech type of guy. He's not really a true nose tackle. He's a little bit, he's a little bit light for that, but you put him at three-tech, he, he can blow up some guards. So I like him. Obviously, Leonard Williams is a really good player. Uh, the question mark is really at that other defensive end spot, that, that five-tech. Malden's not going to make the roster, um, in my opinion. It's really between <laughs> – no, it's, it's between Foley, Fudakoski, however the hell you say his name, a draft in the fifth round this year, Nathan Shepard, the third round pick, and Henry Anderson. It's like a three-way battle, uh, maybe like split rep type of situation at the, at the uh, opposite defensive end of, of Leonard Williams. So I guess then if there's this much turmoil on the defensive line, I don't want to say that it's the most interesting thing that I'll be paying attention to, I mean, but it probably will be because that's been the thing that is – when the Jets are good, it's because they're crushing the Bills up front. So that's what I'm always focused on. What are Jets fans focused on as the biggest defensive bet position battle going into training camp? What are you guys all paying attention to? Um, well, I don't know. If I'm, 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 I'll just speak for myself because I don't know what other Jets fans are watching. Uh, me personally, it's if Lee can hold off Minter and Kevin Pierre Lewis. Uh, even though Lee did get that, you know, the play caller type of deal, I, I think Minter in the long run might be the better player. Even though he did struggle last year with whoever he played for, maybe there, maybe it was the Colts. Uh, I forget what team he played for last year. Um, and then in terms of another battle, uh, I would look at cornerback. 
I think cornerback's an interesting one, not in terms of the top depth, but I think the fourth, fifth, sixth spots are interesting. They have a couple of young guys. Rashad Robinson, they traded a fifth-round draft pick for last year. Jeremy Clark, who didn't play last year, is a late-round pick. Derek Jones is a late-round pick from last year as well. You have Daryl Roberts. Uh, so there's a couple guys there. I think that's like a more of a depth type of, uh, of thing. But I think Lee versus the backup middle linebackers is probably the most interesting to me. Man, I, I can't lie to you. Talking to you tonight kind of really calmed me down, put me in a better mood. <laughs> I love the fact that I can end this show on a high note. Um, man, where can we find your stuff and what upcoming projects do you have that Bills fans might be interested in as far as scouting the opposition? Um, well, yeah, so I guess I guess from – if the, I don't know if Bills fans are ever going to watch my show. I doubt that <laughs> whoever your followers – if I get one, I'll be lucky, but I'm just I'm, – I'm on here to obviously some friends with you guys, and I want to make your show better because obviously I do do that. Who doesn't love this guy? So, so if you guys – let's say if the Jets do play the Bills and you want to watch you know, film and me break it down on YouTube of why the Bills lost because they're going to lose, um, then I'll show you <laughs> exactly why. They lost on film. I'm not. I'm not one of those guys who says, "Oh my God, the Jets. He played really well this game. That was a nice. That was a nice route. Why was it? Why was it a nice route? Was it his drive? Was it his drive? Was it his, was it his stop? Was it his gather? Was it his, was it his uh, his hips? Did he did he stack the cornerback? What was it? So I'm going to show you those things. So if you if you want to come to my show and listen to me twice a year, um, you're more than welcome. So I, you know, I appreciate that. I, I can tell you right now that people are going to show up to listen to Turn on the Jets film room, at least just for the intro. <laughs> guys, yes, yes. guys uh, wh- where can the, our people find you when they uh, inevitably decide to follow you? <laughs> TurnOnTheJets.com. If you just type in my name, Joe Blewett, TurnOnTheJets.com, you can find all my film reviews there. Uh, Twitter, I'm at JoeRB31. And then the podcast, which I'm actually recording in a couple of minutes with Mark Sh- uh, Schofield about the Jets quarterbacks. No, we love Schofield. Um, we have a hard-on for Mark Schofield. Well, you're talking about hard-ons for dudes and Darren Lee sucking your ass. I'm getting a little bit concerned about you. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so I'm recording with him. TOJ Film Room is the Twitter for that. And you can just, you know, any your podcast app, whatever, it's going to be TOJ Film Room if you do want to listen to uh, the Jets versus Bills wrap-ups that I do and whenever they play. Fantastic. Joe, thank you so much for coming on to our show tonight. You've It's been a pleasure, sir. <laughs> Awesome. Hopefully I'll talk to you guys again soon, and maybe I'll uh, bring you guys on my show soon. All right. Thanks to Joe Blewett for coming on, talking about the Jets training camp. I believe it's at JoeRB31 on Twitter. Again, thanks so much to him for coming on our show, and who does not deserve a thank you, uh, one Mario Granada. I saw that you were on the Sunday drive. And I wasn't invited. You had to replace <laughs> you had to replace uh, Paul Wineski on the Sunday drive. They went from a snaggle tooth to a car accident of teeth. <laughs> Guys, go check out on YouTube the Sunday Drive. Mario Granada and Paul Wineski of Hashtag Sports have been putting out a video where they do a car ride, and they just film themselves talking about football topics. You have to go check it out. I recently appeared on a recent episode, and I'm going to be featured a lot more. There's a lot more from that drive and that conversation that's going to pop up over the next few weeks on their feed. You need to follow them, and you have to pay attention to them because they're smart guys, and not for nothing, they're essentially a human. I mean, you've got an adult who's six foot five, and another adult who's six one, but looks like he's sixteen. 
I mean, it looks like a father driving his son to football practice. Exactly. We'll have, Who doesn't love that? Yeah, we'll have, we'll have a, a link in the description of the show to that video on YouTube. But hopefully next time you go on that show, uh, they will invite me, you know, to put some good looks on that show. Because, you know, while you have personality, we all know that Mario Granada has the personality of an NPR listener. Guys, I'm sorry for losing my shit earlier, but I love each and every one of you. Thank you for sticking by us through this. Thank you for sticking by us through the years. We love each and every one of you. We look forward to our next recording. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this is the Rock Pile Report. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.